Well, in your bulletin, uh, you'll find a outline that's my attempt here to uh, go after one of the more difficult passages I've ever uh, endeavored to speak on. This is a, a real challenge in how best to uh, unpack this passage. We're in First Thessalonians chapter 4. <clears throat> We're looking at verses 15 through 18. First Thessalonians chapter 4, 15 through 18. For this we say to you, by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Uh, it's a challenge for me here as we uh, try to understand this passage as to what to put into it and what not to put into it. Uh, last week, we talked about the importance of biblical prophecy. So what we did right there was we kind of opened up the door uh, and in came all the issues of you know, here's, here's, um, let me put it this way. Uh, the foundation, we tried to lay a foundation regarding biblical prophecy. And uh, we need to remember, as we talk about these things, we need to remember a couple of things. Number one, I said it last week, we have no assurance that it's going to happen in our lifetime. That Jesus will come again is a fact. He said it, and it's verified you know, throughout the Scriptures. So that's settled. He is coming again. You believe that? Okay. However, we've got um, various views that maybe some of us right here in this room have taken to. And thus, it's not a matter of being a first and fundamental of the faith. Right? This whole business of how we understand the second coming is not a salvation issue. It's a what we call a secondary issue, but yet it's still important enough. It's here in the passage. We're not going to jump over it. We're not going to skip it. We're going to deal with it. And we don't have a forum up here of uh, various beliefs and opinions. You got me. And here we go. And what I want to do um, is uh, let you know, here's, here's where our church, our doctrinal statement is regarding this, okay? And uh, it's important for us to consider what we say in our doctrinal statement is what we say in our doctrinal... Listen is what we say in our doctrinal statement the way it ought to be. If this is a secondary issue, should we be saying what we say in detail about the second coming and in essence say those people that don't hold to that view should not be members of this church? That's one of the things that we as elders are wrestling with, if you will. And other things, but this is one in particular. So that it, what I mean is this. If someone next to me here, um, you might be sitting next to them. If they believe in a certain view of the end times that doesn't match yours, are they not, are they, should they not be considered a member of the body of Christ local here at Parkside Bible Fellowship. I'm not going to answer that. 
I throw that out and let you know that's what we're dealing with, some of these things. Now, what I'm going to unpack here is what we understand to be, here's what the Bible says about the end times events. So I'm going to do my best to um, have you join me and run through some of these things. It's not going to be a slow walk. In some places it'll be uh, quick moving. So the best way to prepare is let's pray right now. Dear Lord, thank you that you are the author of this book and, and you indwell the lives of your children through your spirit. We need your guidance. We need your help. And we pray that we would let your word speak to our hearts. All too often, Lord, we jump into the judgment seat and, and we, we determine things from our own reasoning and we don't want to do that we want you to lead us and guide us please help us lord we are sheep that need a shepherd Uh, we are students that need a teacher guide us we pray in jesus name amen number one first things first (laughs) first things first last week we said the context ought to rule The context of the passage must rule. Now, that's with understanding of what we just prayed, that it's the Spirit of God that leads us and guides us, right? But when we come as a student to the book, the good book of God, we remember the context needs to rule. And thus we understand here's what's before and what's after. That leads us to, letter B, the point of the passage. And if I were to say to you, we're going to build a theology on end times from this passage, I would be misled. Why? The passage isn't talking first and foremost about end times prophecy. What's the passage talking about? The passage is talking about Christians who need what? Comfort. It's talking about Christians' comfort in sorrow. And it's talking about confidence in Christ. Okay? Those two things are under uh, 1B. The Christian's comfort in sorrow and confidence in Christ. That's what the passage is dealing with. So it shows us something about most all prophetic passages that have a connection to it, a complement to it, and that is, here's biblical prophecy that talks about end times events, but here's the practical part of it. There's always a practical part of it. And that's what we have here in 1 Thessalonians. People were struggling with this issue. There are people that had died. And those that remained were thinking, they're going to miss out. They're going to miss out on the resurrection, on this event. They're going to miss out. And Paul is giving them instruction and trying to comfort them in this way. That's why he ends this passage by saying, therefore, comfort one another. Okay? Chapter 5, verse 1, look at it. Look at the first verse. Now, as to the times and epochs. So what's happened is he's just really jumped to another subject by saying now. Here's, Here's what's next. Okay? So we... We have to understand this passage is really about you and I having comfort. And I, um, this is part of the reason why I struggle in this, with this passage and with this message. Um, I'll just say this as briefly as I can, and that is this. Um, We're coming up on an anniversary, and um, the only hope, uh, and and the only hope we have, because it's not just us, Noreen and I as a family and our our 
kids, but there's others of you. You come up on anniversaries and remember someone that's passed away. And this is where you need to go to. You must go to this. You must go to this passage. You must go to this truth. The reason is, look at what he says in verse 13 and 14. Look at, look at it. Let it sink in. But we, chapter 4, verse 13, but we do not want you to be uninformed. We want you to be, therefore, informed about this, brethren, about those who are asleep, those who have died, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. If we believe that Jesus, there it is, there's a foundation, there's a basis, died and rose again. That's where it lands, my friend. That's where you stand on. That's where you can say, I will not be shaken by loss like we've experienced, by hurt, by accidents, by pain, all of that. It's based on His death and resurrection. And a lot of times I I keep thinking, there's got to be something bigger and better. There's not anything bigger and better than His death and resurrection upon which you build your life upon. That's why it seems so elementary to just say, well, know the gospel. What's the big deal? I know the gospel. No, you, you, if you act that way, then it, it, it shows that you really might not know the gospel like you oughta. My friend, the gospel is not just a little, um, a little uh, gem that you find here. There's a humongous, I can't think of a better word, mine, where more gems are there. And it's all, that's all the gospel. Here's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you keep mining that gospel of Jesus Christ and you will find riches untold, unspeakable joy, hope in trials. All of it. It comes back to this simple thing, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why he gives it right there in verse 14. We, if we believe this, Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have died in Jesus. That's, that's our foundation. My friend, that's got to be your foundation in life, is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he died and rose again. If you have little children... Train them to know the gospel. Don't just get them to pray a prayer. Have them learn the gospel and learn about it with them and grow with them in this. Read about it. Study it. So, (laughs) that was a rabbit trail, but a very important one. (laughs) So, First things first is our context. Remember that. The context and then what is is the context pointing to. And here it is. And now, number two, what's next? What's next with this? Um, How how much do we build a system of uh, teaching and a system of doctrine on Bible prophecy from this? Well, we, we go with our findings, letter A. We go with our findings. And you're looking specifically at verses 15, 16, and 17. Okay? So we, we understand that hope arises out of what we believe. It's our core belief that we stand on and move off of and come back to and continue to uh, stay upon the death and resurrection of Jesus. And then verse 15 reaffirms the basis of it all. The basis is reaffirmed with this. What we see in verse 15. This we say to you by the word of the Lord. So he's, in essence, stated it again. He's repeated it. If we believe this, Jesus died and rose again. And then he says it again, verse 15. We say this by the word of the Lord. I, I believe I um, referenced it last week by saying, you know, um, Paul, if anyone would have quoted from the Old Testament to back up their teaching, Paul would have done it. Why didn't he 
reference the Old Testament here. There is, by the way, references to the prophecy, uh, or prophecy references in the Old Testament regarding the, the coming again and the kingdom of God. Futuristic thinking. We have those in the Old Testament. But why doesn't Paul refer to this one? That's one of the mysteries of what we're dealing with here. And we will, um, uh, we will deal with that mystery uh, here in the next couple of points uh, to follow. And so what many commentators believe is that this came from Paul spending time with the risen Savior, Jesus, in his time off in Arabia, wherever, you know, off Paul went. He, uh, it was Saul, he was Saul of Tarsus, and he had the, the big conversion scene, and then he went off for a number of years, off on his own. And some of the commentators would say, that's where he got the word that he's referring to here. We're not sure. But nonetheless, it is a word from the Lord. Okay? Verse 15. We say this to you by the word of the Lord. The authority. Okay? So, um, then verse 16. For the Lord himself, no one else. The Lord himself. It's not, you know, any, it, that's the emphasis in this passage. The Lord Himself, it's, it's emphatically stated, and He will descend, verse 16, He will descend from heaven, and it will be with a shout. Okay? The voice, with the voice of the archangel. Now, that in particular is, I want you to understand, it's in the singular, not in the plural. So it doesn't have some hidden meaning. It's one of the archangels. Okay, with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and the, that article is added in there. You can see if you, you're looking at your Bible, you can see that's in italics. It should be if it's not. The voice of an archangel or archangel. With the trumpet of God. So those three things are a part of the procedure of the rapture of the believers in Jesus Christ. And we say rapture because of what's coming in verse 17. Then, I'm sorry, we forgot. And, and the dead in Christ will rise first. That's what some of these believers need to hear so that they would understand, okay, they're not going to miss out. So the dead in Christ, those who have fallen asleep, they will rise first. Although I kind of like to do it sometimes. I, I know I can't, but tendency to want to think that it's coming in my lifetime and, and go out to the cemetery. I know that's not realistic, uh, you know, for me to do. It is realistic. It will happen. It's stated in the Word of God. The dead in Christ will rise first. You, you, and you say, whoa, 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 no, wait, wait, wait. You know, you, you got bodies that have been in those caskets for years and years and years. Okay, listen, we're talking supernatural. You must understand this is not just something that you can comprehend. How does that happen? Don't try that. Understand God is, all, God, is God. God is almighty. And by his word, he can speak something. Boom, it'll happen. And we joke about it because it's not specifically stated, but we joke about Jesus had to say, Lazarus, come forth. Why? If he just said, hey, come on forth, everyone would have come. <laughs> That's what I believe. <laughs> he had to say, Lazarus. Okay. The dead in Christ will rise first. Verse 17, then. Next step, we who are alive and remain will be caught up together. Now, here's where a lot of the controversy is. What 
what is this getting at? What does this really mean? And what do we think about it in comparing Scripture with Scripture? Because we're told to do that. We're supposed to compare Scripture to Scripture. That's a good way to study. Okay? And this is where, I believe, why we have different views in the body of Christ. Not just in our church. And I'm not suggesting we got all sorts of different views. I'm just saying... That's, the ten, that's what we have in, in all sorts of churches all across the world. When they start teaching this subject, it's, it's based on this understanding or based on this. And it, you know, it's just like leaves the young, hungry Christian going, whoa, what is it supposed to be about? Hey, so here I go, walking into it. All right? We who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. And so that word, we will be caught up. Interesting that he says we, right? Who's writing this? It's Paul. And he's thinking that he's going to be a part of it. We. We. So back in that day, they were expecting the Lord's return. They were just figuring on it. But along with it, they always gave, here's the practical side to it. Practical issues to remember as they're serving and waiting upon Jesus' return. Now, the term, we uh, will be caught up. That term is uh, the idea of, Catch, catch up, snatch away. And um, it's not just some uh, cute little thing. It's more of a violent word. More of a, a, a grabbing and, and you know, pulling away. Snatch away. That's the idea. We will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we shall always be with the Lord. Now, um, regarding, well, what I want to do, let's move on to letter B. We'll, I'll do my best to cover some of the things that might now be questions in your mind, and we'll come back to that. And by the way, if I don't cover it, and you, I still have a, a question, uh, please call me or come and see me. I'll do my best to, uh, you know, help in answering some of these questions and uh, it is. It's a challenging issue. Letter B, the facts we stand on. Now, I listed them in your outline so we'd understand. Here's basically the end time events that come to mind. There might be one or two that aren't listed there. Like I, I realize, well, a lot of people like the idea, oh, the Battle of Armageddon, you didn't mention that. Well, that's not an issue that we need to concern ourselves about with this list, I don't believe. The, but here are the facts. And these are not, not just things that some, be, some believe and some don't. This is, these are the facts. Here they are. His second coming. The great tribulation. Then the judgment seat of Christ. The millennial kingdom. The 1,000 year reign of Jesus Christ. Then the great white throne judgment. And a new heaven and a new earth. Okay? So how do we understand what we just read with this list? And we didn't even use the word rapture. And by the way, it's not mentioned in the word. So why should I believe in the word or the term rapture? It's not here in the text. Well, where we get it is from the Latin word of to be caught up. The Latin word sounds like rapturo or something like that. Okay, so that's where the term rapture comes from. It doesn't mean that it's uh, just, well, so we don't believe in it. Well, we've got this passage that we're studying and we need to, what do we do with this? Is this just a part of the whole business of His second coming? What does that mean? And so, 
These are some of the features under letter 2C. Some of the features. The timing and sequence. Timing and sequence. Here's the, the timing of it and the order of it. Okay? Now, there are some who believe, there's some in Christianity who believe we are in the millennium right now. They're called ah millennialists. We're in the millennium right now. And you say, whoa, 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 time out. How can that be? Well, what they do is it's back to their interpretation of Scripture. How they interpret Scripture is more of a spiritualized way. And thus they think we're in a spiritual millennium. Okay? Then there's uh, other terms... But uh, here's where we stand as a body of believers that there's, number one, any moment catching away, any moment translation of the body of Christ. I didn't use the word rapture, did I? But any moment catching away, any moment translation of the bride of Christ. It's, it's uh, interesting how there's connection to uh, the Jewish culture regarding uh, weddings and such, um, how they did that. Then secondly, what we believe is next is, here's the Great Tribulation. The Great Tribulation, uh, seven years of what's called uh, the time of trouble. Three and a half years of peace and prosperity, three and a half years of great trouble with the Antichrist leading in the rage against God and against God's people. Then, the second coming to earth of our victorious and mighty King Jesus, Revelation 19, where it's talking about a return to earth and setting up then, number four, his 1,000-year reign. It'll be set up and Satan will be bound at that point for those 1,000 years and then released simply to be defeated in the end of that a thousand year reign. At that point, then there, we understand there to be from Revelation uh, chapter 21, the great white throne judgment, where Christ will uh, serve as the judge. And he will uh, be judging the nations there. And then finally, a new heaven and a new earth. Now, regarding the rapture, I want to go back to that under the hints from the Old and New Testament. They're under letter 2C. Um, the hints from the Old and New Testaments. Number one is the idea that um, we have pictures, little, little hints of the idea of a rapture with Enoch and Elijah. Enoch being who one who was uh, walking with God, and he was not, for God took him. Genesis chapter 5, verse 24. And I call that an all of a sudden exit. All of a sudden exit. Why didn't, and why didn't that happen more frequently in the Old Testament? We don't know. But here's an example of a man that walked with God. And that should be the idea for each and every one of us who claim faith in Christ. We walk with God. And with the understanding of the second coming, we prepare ourselves for His return. It's like a bride getting ready for the wedding. You prepare yourself for your man. Right? Then also Elijah. Elijah's flight in 2 Kings chapter 2, another all of a sudden exit. And this one in, in, uh, in the great chariot uh, escape that he had. New Testament, in Acts chapter 8, verse 39, the Holy Spirit snatched Philip away. Acts chapter 8, verse 39. The Holy Spirit snatching Philip away and off to Azotus in verse 40. There's a, an example of Here's, here's a snatching away. Catching this uh, man, this evangelist, Philip, away and off to another location. And then Paul himself testifies of being caught up 
into paradise, being caught up from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2 through 4. Caught up to paradise. And it's both those New Testament passages are the same word used here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So it leads us to say, you know what? With, with this understanding of, well, what's the second coming? And what, what's all that's mentioned in the, in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 24? What's all that about? Is that about the second coming? Or is that about the rapture or what? It comes to, we, we must try to do our best to understand what is it talking about when, you know, he's saying he comes back to earth. Christ comes back to earth in Matthew 24. And here in 1 Thessalonians, it talks that he comes back in the air for his own. So differences, it, it, it behooves us to study carefully the differences, what seem to be the differences in the Word of God regarding what's the rapture and what's his second coming. And I would, I would just say, here's, here's one way that I find helpful. As you do that, you know, you, you're trying to study the, the variations of it all. Okay? And first of all, you could classify certain verses as the removal references. Removal. Just removing from here to another location. In other words, the rapture. Verses like this passage, 1 Thessalonians 4, and mark them down, John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, and 1 Corinthians 15, 50 through 57. So I want to have us look at John chapter 14 really quickly. Turn there, please. John 14, 1 through 3. Jesus saying, now keep in mind the idea of what we've read in 1 Thessalonians 4 and relate that here. John chapter 14, verse 1. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. That leans in our mind, in our study, to say He's going to receive us and take us to where He is. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50. Now... I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. Listen, he's saying this for a reason. This is a mystery. We will not all sleep, die. He's thinking it can happen here in his lifetime. We'll not all sleep. But we will all be changed. Some claim this to be their theme verse for the nursery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. Thank you, thank you. (laughs) We had to wake you up with something. Yeah, sorry. But see, this is different. This is different. Different description than just him. Here he's coming to earth. He's saying we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable and this mortal must put on immortality. That will happen at the resurrection. And that's what he's talking about in 1 Thessalonians 4. The dead in Christ will rise. Are they going to have brand new resurrected bodies? Yes. Miraculously. And then we who remain will join them. And we will be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye 
That's not even closing your eyes and holding them closed. That's a, a, a quick blink of your eye. It'll be that quick. Okay? All right. So those are the removal references, if you will. The removal references. And here, over um, apart from them, are the warning references. The warning references. Look at Matthew 24. Matthew 24. Now, there's some references here in Matthew 24 that sound as if it's um, there's a warning of any time. Any time. Could happen any time. And so we think, well, see, there's the rapture. Because the rapture is supposed to happen any time. But not necessarily... You know, to connect it with the rapture here, as you look at some of the language in Matthew 24, starting at verse 29. But immediately after the tribulation, those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give us light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers from of heavens will be shaken, and then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And He will send forth His angels with a great trumpet and they will gather together His elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. And it sounds like there's similar language there regarding the rapture. But I say there's some differences here because of the angels coming with Him for one gathering all the elect, which we would say, understanding here on the one side of it, is here are the Jews that he's going to, to collect, if you will, to call from the four corners of the earth. And again, it's not an easy thing to just separate out and, and, and make it total crystal clear for everyone. Verse 37, Matthew 24, For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. Whereas in those days before the flood they were eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them away. There's judgment in that, folks. There's judgment in this. And in the First Thessalonian passage and in the First Corinthians 15 passage, there's no connection of judgment in, re, in that regard. I believe, and this is what our, here's our church doctrinal statement, that it's, here's a rapture and a second coming. A rapture will happen where the body of Christ, believers in Jesus Christ, will be miraculously caught up in the air, and then go on into glory until it's time for Revelation 19 for a victorious, majestic return to earth of Jesus. And you read Revelation 19. And see, the whole idea, what's the tribulation about? The tribulation, as we understand it, is about dealing with two things. Judgment of the nations and God setting up the Jewish people to draw them back to Himself and keeping them as His chosen people. Now, with that being said, a mystery now revealed. I want to move to that point under 2C. A mystery now revealed. I know this is a lot to try to cover. I hope that you'll just Bear with me. Hang in there. Mark these references down as we go. It's um, a mystery has been mentioned by Paul. It's not so much mentioned in the Gospels. It's mentioned in the letters that Paul writes. A mystery is now revealed. Turn to Ephesians chapter 3. See, in the Old Testament, there's prophecies about Israel and the kingdom and all that. Here, and where is it going to be fulfilled? Because the Israelite people messed up, right? They, you know, 
and now here the temple's gone and uh, they just recently got back into the land in 1948. Um, where's the fulfillment for Israel? And do we believe Israel is a literal nation, people of God kind of thing? Well, no, they're not a people of God. They've rejected this, the Messiah. But are they still the people of God? Will they be the people of God? That's what we want to understand here in, in dealing with the mystery that's now revealed. Look at Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace. Some of your references, your King James Version might say, the dispensation of God's grace. But it's a, the, a better word is the stewardship of God's grace which was given to me for you. He's talking to the church at Ephesus. Verse 3, That by revelation there is made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his, what? His holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. Folks, he's talking about the church where there's not there's no more uh, walls of barrier like there was with the Jewish Judaistic system. Gentiles couldn't go in. But now, here are Gentiles and Jews who are brought into the church, the body of Christ. And mark down also uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 12 through 13, where Jew and Gentile are brought together as one. They're one body in Christ. Now, we're in Ephesians. Turn over one, uh, two books, two letters to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up, which, uh, filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Of this church, I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That is the mystery which has been hidden from ages, from past ages and generations, but now has been made manifest to his saints. Okay. And then we have that same word mystery in 1 Corinthians 15, 51. It's a mystery. He's saying what will happen at the rapture. And then 1 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verse 16 talks about the mystery. So, this is showing something, and it's this. Here's Israel. Are they still a nation? Are they still themselves going to be the heirs of what God has promised? And here's now a separate entity called the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the church and some here's here's the thing please hang in there some people say here's the church and now the church is the new israel here's old israel old testament and now because of christ and what he's done with faith in christ here's here's the church they're the new israel but we've got a problem with that we have a problem with that understanding because of the references given to a literal Israel that will receive the fulfillment of the promises of God in the Old Testament. Jeremiah chapter 31, 31 through 37. Mark that down. If you, if you want to stay in this study, you know, just 
Mark that down and, and check it out later this afternoon. Jeremiah 31, 31 through 37, especially verses 35 through 37. God's given a promise there that if the stars from heaven fall, if the sky falls apart, Israel's still going to be his people. Turn to 1 Corinthians just to wrap up this bit of the uh, uh, display here uh, regarding there being a separate church and a separate Israel. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 32. We can look at verse 31 to start with. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. That's one verse that shows forth a separation. A, here's a separate entity, Israel as a people, the church as God's people, okay, as the bride of Christ. And then um, the other one is over in chapter 12, verse 12 through 13, where it says, Even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, they're one body. So also is Christ. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. We were all made to drink of one spirit. So the new covenant will be fulfilled in Israel as a nation. But then, but when, when will that happen? I believe it's after this great tribulation that will come upon the world. And there are verses that we haven't covered here that um, support the idea that God's people will be rescued from the wrath to come. Number one, Jesus already took the wrath of God, correct? Have the unbelievers who will continue to reject Christ, have they suffered under the wrath of God yet? No. The wrath of God is upon them. But when the wrath of God comes, part of the great tribulation, not just... In, in total, but part of the issue of the Great Tribulation is going to be to judge the, to, to punish the nations for rejecting Christ and to allow punishment upon Israel to cause them to see that they are God's people. So, God will eventually bring Israel to the position of spiritual favor but they've got to go through the great tribulation and that's that's what one of the purposes of the of the great tribulation is at that point when the great tribulation is coming to a close the seven years coming to a close Christ Jesus will appear in all his glory and descend to the mount of olives revelation 19:11 through 21 <clears throat> so we would say there are two phases of His second coming. A rapture, a catching away of the bride of Christ, and a literal return to earth. And some would say that, well, hey, wait a minute, this is a recent discovery. Um, just as recently as 1820, a man by the name of uh, J.N. Darby put together a systematic approach to this. And, and many in the body of Christ, would say, well, that, that's, that's the thing. It's, it's just a recent belief. And so it's rather um, suspicious, if you will. And, and therefore, because uh, along with the rapture term, not even being in the Bible, and an early discovery, or, or I should say a recent discovery, you know, this is something that we should not believe in. It's unreliable. Supposedly drawn up by some eager Plymouth Brethren people, that's what Darby was, in, in hopes of Jesus coming and rescuing us out of all the trouble. And that's what a lot of people say. If you're believing in a rapture before the tribulation, they say, oh, you're just, you're just a lightweight. You don't, you don't want to have to go through the, the end times and the tribulation. And so they throw it all into one category and say, J.N. Darby was, uh, you know, he's kind of wimpy in that way. 
Actually, what we understand is this is not a sound argument. As many early church fathers, back after all the apostles died, early church fathers, most of them can be recorded as as writing about an imminent return of Jesus. I've got an article here um, by uh, Dr. James Stitzinger, and he he's written about a oh it must be a thirty-page report about that about the early church fathers and their understanding of the eminency, the any moment return of Jesus. I'm glad that they didn't say, well, Martin Luther and his discoveries of justification by faith, well, that was kind of recent, you know, 1500s. Well, no, we're not saying that about him. We didn't say that about uh, John Calvin and the things that he brought forth that are so rich for the church in their studies, in their approach to theology. So, just because it was here recent, if we say in the 1800s, does that mean it's something to just push off and say it's not a legitimate thing? Actually, J.N. Darby had a very uh, intelligent approach to understanding theology. He wasn't some loony (laughs) just trying to put together some cool new uh, uh, study. There are real issues in, in trying to understand this. And maybe it might be most of you just say, well, I don't even know why I've gone to all this trouble because I believe in a rapture. Well, that's good. But you know what? I think it's important for every one of us to really check it out for ourselves. Be a Berean. Just because your pastor from First Baptist days or your pastor from wherever just kept saying there's going to be a rapture, why don't you study it? Why don't you do a, a chart of here's, here's the second coming verses and here's rapture understanding and try and understand where are the differences? Show me. Go ahead and do it. Okay, now what? <laughs> Number three, and I know this is a... That's why I say this is a challenging message to try to present. I know that some of you have kind of turned off the lights and the, you know, said, eh, not going to go there with you. Well, listen to this as we wrap this up. Point number three, okay, now what? All the passages on his second coming give the announcement that he's coming and then typically all of them will follow up with practical issues such as even in the Gospels or in Paul's writings, they'll say, be alert, be ready, be watching and exercise discernment. You and I live in an age where we don't think a lot of times in terms of discernment. And we must be thinking in that way and, and asking God for discernment. John, the Apostle John, talks about there's going to be many prophets who will arise and say that Christ is here. And if you and I aren't studying and learning and growing in the things of God's Word, we might just get carried off with it. And that's not just my concern. That's a concern from Scripture. Second Timothy, oh, I'm sorry, First John, we mentioned that, that many antichrists have come, many false prophets come, so therefore test the spirits. Second Timothy 3, teachers who will oppose the truth. They have a form of godliness. I'm telling you, watch it. Don't just pass it off. You pay attention to what it is that's going on. And don't, don't bring in forecasts of His coming, you know, prematurely. We've already stated it. You have no idea when it's happening. I have no idea when it's going to happen. You and I be faithful here and today and through our lives. Even in Second Timothy chapter 4, it's 
talks about where people will not endure sound teaching, but they'll have itching ears, accumulating teachers to suit their own passions, and they will turn away from listening to the truth. But here in 1 Thessalonians 4, it's talking about here's the end times, but here's here's this business. You comfort one another and you be confident in the in the promises of Christ. The end times events are always accompanied with these exhortations and the end times events all are about our great and mighty Jesus that he'll come again and he'll be glorified. All are based on his death and resurrection. They're all proofs of his sovereign control. He's not just coming randomly and saying, hey, what's going to happen now, brother? No, he's coming with a plan. He's sovereign. And all are calling for your life and my life to draw near to him in confident expectation, to surrender to him as righteous King Jesus. Have you surrendered to righteous King Jesus? If you have not, would you please admit your sin before Him now? Trust Him now. Put your faith in Him now. Call out to Him now as Savior. We don't know if it will happen today. We live a life and figure, well, here's another Sunday. Great day. And yet I walk in little faith, thinking, oh, He's not going to come today. And it might be another 3,000 years. But the Bible keeps pointing you and I. Walk with Him. Be ready. Be alert. Be watching. And if you're not ready, you have no hope. You, You must come to faith in Christ Jesus. You give me any other argument about why we are here. Why are we here in this, in this planet? Why are we here in this time? Nothing comes close to matching what the Bible gives us. Nothing does. But most everyone just backs off and, and goes to their little cute idea about mythology or whatever they want to dream up and say, oh, you get to go to wherever you want to go to when you die. How stupid. I'm sorry, that's not the term to use. How blind. How blind. I I don't know if this is... I I hope this has helped. This is... um, uh, I, I will say it again. This is not an issue that ought to separate believers. And I don't want our, our church to be one that says, well, you've got to believe this in order for you to be a believer when it's not dealing with fundamentals of the faith. I will always, if I come back to this in 20 years from now... I'll preach the same thing as far as I can see. I'll preach that there's an imminent return where Jesus will rescue His bride away. And by the way, during that time, that's when I believe, I didn't mention it in the message, but that's where I believe the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, I mean chapter 5 verse 10, where that will take place. You say, judgment seat of Christ. Whoa, 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 whoa. What's that? Yeah, the judgment seat of Christ will take place once he has rescued his, his bride. He's not going to condemn you to death. He's not going to condemn you to condemnation. He's, he's just simply saying, here's, here's where the works will be judged and, and put through the fire. If, if, if what you're doing now is of gold and precious silver and precious uh, gems, then it will pass through the fire of God's of Christ's judgment. So whatever you do, there it is again. Here's practical encouragement as to how you live your life now. Don't do it for yourself. 
Let's do it for Jesus. Anytime. What's done for Christ will last. Amen? Okay. Let's bow in prayer. Dear Father, we thank you and praise you for this opportunity we've had to be in your word. Please, dear Lord, use this for your glory. Help us to be a people that are not just uh, walking aimlessly. Help us to be people that are alert and ready and watching and lifting you up and continuing to say that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Help us, Lord, as a community of believers here in Fallon to uh, shine for you, to point people to you, to be ready with sharing the gospel with ourselves and with other people, Lord. We just need your help in this. We need your guidance. We trust in you, Lord. We thank you for the hope, the blessed hope of your appearing. And we look forward to that day where we will see you face to face. We praise you, Lord. Go with us now. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.